Hello, listeners. I'm Jamia. I'm Jamila, and we are Live Voices. Here from librarians of color, what speaks to the fullness of their careers, including successes and challenges. How do they do it? Join us to find out more about their Live Voices. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6. Today, we have an interview with Nicolette Davis and Crystal Chin. Crystal Chin is the Associate Manager of Teen Centers at the New York Public Library and the 2018 American Library Association Emerging Leader. She received her MSLIS from Pratt Institute and is an active member of the Chinese American Librarians Association and Asian Pacific American Librarians Association. She also serves as the community admin for We Here, a supportive community for a BIPOC and LIS. Nicolette M. Davis is based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and is an assistant librarian. She's a community admin for We Here, a supportive space for BIPOC library workers and archivists. Before becoming an academic librarian, she spent several years working in public libraries as the supervising reference librarian and circulation head. Her interests include critical librarianship, BIPOC community building, community engagement, and critical pedagogy and library instruction. All views and ideas expressed are her own. What drew you to librarianship? And either one of you can answer. Who should go first? <laughs> I'm going to say you want to go first, Nicolette, then Crystal. Okay, yeah, sure. So, I feel like she was pointing at me, but I was. <laughs> oh, Crystal, you can go first, then Nicolette. Okay, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> I'll go first. It's it's a very long story, so I was like, I have to condense this because I can't give you the whole history of my life. But essentially, to say, like, I really feel like I fell into it in a lot of ways. I will say, like, my earliest memories of growing up, as I mentioned, in a town in Texas, was going to a library. I was a latchkey kid. It was a really safe and welcoming environments. And um, I feel like I kind of fell into and started to do teen services. My first like real library job outside of working in grad school or undergrad and as work study was actually at my local library and my co-workers were these like lovely set of ladies in their 60s and 70s and they used to check out books to me when I was younger and then they were my co-workers um and then I started doing teen services there and I was like you know what I really like this and I really like that I can make this uh space really safe and welcoming or as safe as possible no no space I think is in many ways like truly safe but as welcoming as possible or to the best of my ability for these young people and I've continued on when I came to the New York Public Library and I started doing teen services and it just feels like I'm able to provide um the kind of service and space that I like always wanted as a young person and to know that that's really meaningful um, for those kids to find community, to find friends, to find activities and to be exposed to a lot of books, experiences and in my new job like technology. Okay, so um, kind of like Crystal, I can't give you my whole life story so I'll give you a brief um, overview of what drew me to librarianship. Um, so back when I was in high school, I started as a library page in the public library. It was my first job and I really enjoyed it. 
So, um, but that's not where I wanted to end up. It was just a job to get me through high school and then eventually to get me through college. But I didn't really take it seriously um, at first. It's like a career choice. I just kind of also fell into it. I was a biology major and then I was a psych major. And like, I just didn't consider librarianship at the time. Um, my late mother, she suggested to me, she said, when you talk about, you know, where you work and what you do, you light up. And even though it's just part time, I could see that you really enjoy that. And I was like, Ma, I don't want to do that. That's not for me. I want to, I want to be a doctor. I want to, you know, teach. I want to do all these things. And, you know, it took me changing majors and wasting a lot of money in college <laughs> before I decided that I wanted to be an English major and then pursue my MLIS. And I decided that actually after my mother passed and and I wish she, you know, was around at the time to know that I actually made that decision. And so um, after I graduated from undergrad, I um, worked as a library technician for a little while. And then I went to get my MLIS. And it's not something that I regret. I'm really glad that I fell into it and that it's something that still brings me joy to this day. And I'm glad that my mom put that little nugget in my ear like, hey, you may want to pursue this because it's something I can see brings you joy, you know, and, you know, mothers know, like mothers know their children and, and they know, you know, the things that make them happy. And it was something that made me happy. So that's why I'm here. That's great to hear both Shout your stories. Shout out to mom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As BIPOC librarians, what do you view as critical to the success of the field? I guess I can start with this one. Um, so as a BIPOC librarian, I feel that, um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is something that's on the rise, something that's, you know, been talked about over and over again. And I talk about this with my colleagues as well. Like there's a a surface layer to diversity, right? And there's a surface level to welcoming BIPOC people into a field that is predominantly white. But there's also this undercurrent that a lot of people don't address, like having a space that's not welcoming on the surface, but having flexible work hours, having spaces that are conducive to progress and conducive to success. And so um, I definitely feel like having those things in place encourages diversity, but also maintains it and sustains it. Because like I've seen over the past several years how BIPOC librarians are leaving the field and it's really alarming. Um, this is due to COVID, but also I've, I started seeing it a little bit before COVID. And I, I think the issue is there's a lot of issues that, you know, that could be one whole podcast by itself. But um, just to condense it, I just don't think that a lot of spaces really think critically and deeply about how certain practices, policies, things, things like that are just not conducive to BIPOC librarians and taking a step back and reassessing and you know listening to your BIPOC library workers is also so crucial. Um, a lot of people speak at us or for us, but they don't get our opinions and they don't get our insights. And I think that is also something that is so important to listen to us and actually hear us and, and 
take what we say seriously and make those necessary changes so that the environment is conducive to BIPOC librarians, not just staying, but being successful and thriving and in achieving their goals. And um, so, yeah, I think that's crucial to the success. Uh, I 100% agree with everything that Nicolette said. Um, you know, I, I think about that too in terms of like, how can we support like other BIPOC librarians? And for me, like, I think it's like time, space, it's money, right? You know, to make sure that a lot of these people are staying in the field. I also think a lot about um, sort of intergenerational conflicts that also sometimes happen, if that kind of makes sense, where I feel like, you know, why are we kind of fighting amongst ourselves just because you as a BIPOC librarian had it really tough, like 10, 20 years ago, it doesn't discount what we're saying now, right? When we're saying that we want this other thing to change too, we should be like working together and to continually striving. And I do feel like sometimes um, there are things that happen where if somebody is like maybe older feeling like they had it really tough you know just because the next generation comes in has a little bit easier like we're grateful to you you know like this is because of the hard work and advocacy that you've done you know and it shouldn't be a bad thing and so that like we see other people's other BIPOC successes as our successes as well um I also think that we continue to have these conversations about like whether or not the library is neutral and just like we just need to stop having that conversation it's not neutral <laughs> let's not talk about it anymore and I think a lot of that is just looking at the history of libraries in America right and the answer is right there for you as whether or not the space is neutral. Um, and then Nicolette touched on this, you know, as BIPOC, wanting to be listened, but like not just, you know, when um, May comes around and it's like Asian American Heritage Month and then all of a sudden you care about me and want me to go in front of like the news or whatever, you should listen to me at other times and other months too. And I also feel like that is a lot of labor for us to carry and other uh, white people in our institutions should be kind of diving in and, and trying to do some of that work with us too. I want to um, add something too, because um, uh, Crystal touched on something that I wanted to mention. Um, in my work with We Here, Crystal and I, we have a mentorship program called We Together, and it's for BIPOC librarians to connect with other BIPOC librarians. But uh, something that I'm seeing and I've seen and I've heard about, uh, mentorship is so important, and I completely agree with that. But also mentorship doesn't replace um, having these things put in place in the institution. Like having a mentor is awesome and we need those, but we also need supportive institutions as well because, you know, I can have somebody who's really supportive and on my side and really helping me to work through things. But if I'm working through toxicity and trauma, <laughs> like, you know, what is, the benefit there, you know? So I think it's really important to uh, have mentorship for BIPOC librarians for their success, but also make those changes within the institution so that we're not just continuing this cycle of just still being in trauma or, or experiencing trauma and being in toxic workplaces. Oh my gosh, I just, oh, I'm feeling all the feels because of all the stuff you said about mentorship within the institutions, 
making sure that we have spaces for where we belong. So inclusion and talking about the intergenerational conflicts. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. We could do a whole podcast on that. And uh, it's it's fascinating because I was just talking to a friend about this uh, the other week, how some people, because they had it hard when they came in, they feel either they feel some type of way or whatever that is there, they feel like you should have it rough too. And it's like, either, and I, I never subscribe to that. I always want to make sure the barriers are being broken for those that come after me. And because I don't want them to experience that nonsense, but some people really don't feel that way. They really feel I had it tough. You should too. And I feel like that's part of that bootstrap mentality. And it's really unfortunate. It really is. Yeah. I do think it is part of that bootstrap mentality and just the kind of overall school of hard knocks kind of thing. And I think for some of us that we have to go through some of those things, but we shouldn't want everyone else to go, right. go through it either, you, you know that, like right. the, the whole point of this is to, is to pave the way for those coming for us just like those before us have done you know because we are in these places now that wouldn't have been possible you know 20 30 40 years ago so it's you know like we just need to really dig in and and try to change things not only for ourselves right now but then for those people later as well um, and I also like what y'all said about listening to BIPOC librarians. Yes. Please listen. Yes. Please. Open your ears. Listen. Please. Right. Because we're saying a whole lot. And so if you take the time to listen, you could actually probably solve a lot of things that is, that's going on in your own institution. You know, that's if you care to. Right. Um, and and that's really what we're dealing with is <laughs> people really don't care. <laughs> Yeah. So what what do we do? You know, so I don't know. It's just there's so much for us to do and to fix and address. And um, but I think that starting with listening is a good way to begin the work if you're not already doing it. So how do you promote equitable practices through your work in the library? If you're like we're trading off. OK, I go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did like text um, Nicolette beforehand I was just like practices does that mean policy <laughs> I have no power but um I, I will say just like speaking very generally like I think of my role at my institution you know there were the many years that I was a librarian working in the branches and this past year working more as an administrator um I think about ways that we can sort of advocate together and sometimes those are like very vocal things like meeting with HR and being like hey this is an issue right and sometimes it happens more covertly for a lot of different reasons that can be really sensitive um, but I think a lot of that is like supporting uh, other BIPOC in the advancement of their careers, right? And supporting when, you know, when, for example, there are new jobs and they have pretty high pay, higher than when I came in at. That's actually great. Great. Let's use that as leverage for getting raises for ourselves, right? We shouldn't like treat that as they need to make lower than us because we've been here longer. We should support that, right? I think there's a lot of information sharing that we can do regarding raises, 
money that we make, the conditions of our workplaces, right? I think about ways that we can build coalitions. I will say, especially during the time of COVID, which continues with the rise in anti-Asian hate, like it was really important for me to find other uh, Asian American uh, library workers and to sort of meet with them to find community together. And for us, uh, you know, some of us, we chose to advocate by like writing blog posts. Um, we got looped into like some HR stuff too with trainings and, and things like that. But finding that community was really important and um, being able to share our experiences and talk about it and to sort of like support each other during a really traumatic time. And I'll say too that um, the other things with my work currently, my work past is just providing access to young people. Um, in the three branches I've worked at previously, uh, all of my teens, I would say 90% of them were BIPOC and just having, making sure that they had access to like great books, to lots of like fancy technology. Uh, a lot of the branches that we have, they like, have like 3D printers now and I've had like teens come in and they're just like, oh, how much is it? It's like, no, no, you don't pay here. Like, this is free. <laughs> like, please, we want you to use this stuff. And we buy the filament, we buy all of this. You just have to come in and it's all here for you to use and take home. Same thing with the books, with it being find free like just removing before when they actually did have fines on the cards, I would just be like, tell me about a book that you read. I'm going to take off $5. I'll do this, do that, and take everything off as much as possible. And then now that the policy has actually changed, the kids don't have any fines. I think that's great because then they can access all of this stuff, books, uh, materials that are going to help them um, in their lives moving forward. So. Yeah. So um, I'm not, I'm not a public librarian anymore, but when I was a public librarian, I was a circulation head. And so circulation was where a lot of the barriers are getting access. And so like, kind of like what Crystal was saying, like eliminating fines or, you know, allowing people on the computers are like a lot of the policies and a lot of libraries are very, um, they penalize people who are at a disadvantage, right? And so I felt like a part of my job was to uh, enforce the rules. Um, and I say that loosely because, you know, we are serving people, we're serving community. And so I felt like I couldn't do that. Enforcing a lot of these rules that were antiquated and, you know, actively harmed people who needed access, right? And so um, I was thankful to be in that position to where I could make those decisions to allow people access to books, computers, or whatever resources that they needed. So now that I've transitioned, um, I'm no longer a manager. I am just a reference, not just, but I'm a reference and instruction librarian. And one of the things I like to incorporate just in my teaching is, you know, citing Black women, citing authors of color, you know, using examples that are about the BIPOC experience. Like I show up as my whole self as much as I can. And I know that that's not easy for some people because sometimes it doesn't feel safe to do that. So I, I am privileged to say that I can do that. I feel like that I can show up as my full self and, and you know, um, talk about things from my experience. And I've even had students after class, I'll mention something about history or about like my experiences and they'll come up to me after class and say, hey, is that true? Like, well, yeah, it's true. It's my experience. But sometimes they're so like, I didn't know that this was something I could research. I didn't know this was something I could write a paper on because a lot of times, you know, the topics that they present may not be 
scholarly or they don't think it's scholarly, but it is. They just haven't been exposed to uh, a, bl a black researcher or a black librarian who tells them, okay, this is something that you can research. So that's something that I try to incorporate into my instruction and um, anytime I'm dealing with students or even dealing with faculty, letting them know to cite people of color, uh, cite black women and, and just like promote, promote that in my teaching. I want to add to that about uh, what Nicolette said about the citing of people. We've done a few projects together um, over the past few years, and I think that's something we think about a lot is like, we try to think about all kinds of things related to librarianship, but nothing that we are envisioning thinking about it exists in a vacuum. It's built on the work of other people. So it's really important for us to like name those people as much as we possibly can so that people know that like it's not just us. It's like all of these people who are thinking and putting out these ideas into the world. And we're just trying to like contribute and build on top of that. I want to add, add to that. <laughs> Um, I mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion earlier, um, but I talk about, I've done like presentations on this topic of the invisible labor of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the things I think that can help with equitable practices is not putting all of that labor on BIPOC librarians. And there's so many like consulting firms and people you can pay to do a lot of this diversity work. And I think um, sometimes as BIPOC, we feel like it's our job to, you know, educate or to make things equitable when sometimes we're just trying to survive. Like there's things going on in our day-to-day, -day, there's things going on in the political world that we're just trying to navigate and just get through. And then we have to like, have this weight of, okay, well, I have to be the one that's promoting DEI in my institution, when it really shouldn't be like that, unless you want to take on that work. Um, but if there's a way that institutions can um, have like consulting firms to take off some of that weight from BIPOC librarians so they don't feel that burden of, you know, having to always be the person speaking out, always be the person who's calling out things. I think that um, can make things more equitable and like balances things out so there's not so much weight on, on our shoulders. And you should pay them more. But if if you aren't doing any of those things, you better be giving them credit because that can make a difference in like the next promotion or next opportunity that that BIPOC person has. And if you're not giving them credit and just just taking it and using it, like that's also that needs to change. Listen, I'm here for more pay and more yes, credit. Yes, please. You don't pay us that much now. Okay. I will take you both. Be paying yes, us please. That okay. <laughs> I love that. And then also just the idea of um of outsourcing some of this DEI work, right? And um I think that not only do BIPOC, some BIPOC librarians feel like they have to do that work. Um, but then also we're made to do it in some instances as well, you know, and and that's not cool either. So just like get someone else in here to do some of this, <laughs> you know, just please help help all of us because it just would be, I think, in a lot of cases easier to to have someone else facilitate that kind of thing from outside and kind of get you going, right? Because the labor involved in doing DEI work on top of your regular job is just is is so much, and it's, it can be difficult um, for obvious reasons.
I think kind of this kind of also takes us into our next question, just, just hearing some of the work that you all are doing. And it just it becomes clear of why you'd be working with We Here. Would you tell us a little about We Here and what led you to work with this community-led organization and uh, what impact you hope to make through that work? Yeah, so back in, I guess it was like 2019, I got my MLIS in December of 2018 and I became a librarian in 2019. And so I joined this Facebook group. I'm not gonna say the name of it, but I joined it and it was like very, toxic <laughs> there was just like so much going on in that space where it was just I didn't feel safe didn't feel comfortable didn't feel represented and I said this can't be life like this cannot be the end-all be-all of like librarianship or connecting with librarians across the country or across the world so I really don't remember how I, how I got to we here maybe somebody invited me but I got there and it felt like a warm bed like I was supposed to be there. It was comfortable. I felt like I belonged there. And um, I just felt so supported and heard and I could vent and not be judged and, you know, all types of things and, you know, just utilize the resources and just have community. Um, and so they put a call out for public librarians for uh, to be admins, community admins. And I applied and I became an admin in early January 2020. And so um, we here is a supportive space for BIPOC librarians. Um, we have our private spaces, but we also have different programs that we have. We have uh, We Together, which is our mentorship program that Crystal and I facilitate. We have We Reads, uh, which is um, basically kind of like a reader's advisory with uh, BIPOC books, authors, things of that nature. We have community study, which is being in community with other BIPOC librarians and focusing on a specific topic. Um, we have community school, which is you know offering webinars, asynchronous courses. Um, and we also have Uproot, which is our, um, our journal, kind of like an academic journal where BIPOC writers uh, write different topics and things like that. And I think I've touched everything. Crystal, correct me if I haven't. <laughs> um, I may have missed something, but if I, if I have, just let me know. But we have so many different aspects of we here, right? And so you can just be in the private space or you can be in the community study or you can you know, help with we reads or contribute to we reads. So um, over time, it has definitely grown and it's something that I'm so fond of and I want other people to feel like I felt when I came into we here. It's like, you know, when you wash your, your your blankets and your sheets and you take them out the dryer and you just get in and you feel like a hot pocket. And like that's what I want people to feel like when they are, you know, in we here. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to feel like they're supported and just that they have a space where they can just be. And I, I hope that that is the impact that the organization has. And, you know, um, everybody's experience is gonna be different, but I'm so glad to be in community with folks. Um, I, I'm a community admin, but I'm also in the community, which I'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> but um, it's just something that I really enjoy. And I hope that other people feel the warmness that I felt from me here. 
I love that, Nicolette. Um, the especially the description about being like wrapped in the blanket. Have you heard of this thing called the comfy, which is this like really oversized, fluffy like sweater? It's like being wrapped yep. in the comfy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, good. Um, the only thing I wanted to add to that is, you know, the founder of of We Here, which is Jennifer A. Ferretti, and it was also started with um, Charlotte Rowe and uh, Jennifer Brown. Um, Jennifer Ferretti, uh, what I really appreciate is that, you know, she makes it a point to be like, you know, we are trying to get BIPOC paid, right? And so that happens through like the webinars, like you get paid to do those things, right? They just, I think did, uh, what did they just put out um, from Uproots, the community awards, right? Um, and I know also too, um, really early on, I think, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I think it was something where like the Patreon started to get a lot of money because of sort of this upswell in reaction to Black Lives Matter and um, um, the George Floyd killing. And there was a lot of money that was getting directed to we here because of that. And we had like a lot of kind of complicated conversations about it. And ultimately um, that money kind of went to these community micro grants to black librarians, black library workers. Um, and so putting the money like back into the community is something that I think is really important and that I, I really appreciate about this. Um, uh, we here in particular. Um, so I want to also add like the, I similarly fell into this uh, with Nicolette with the same like application that came out in, in January 2020, but I had heard of it because I did the emerging, ALA Emerging Leaders Project, which Nicolette is gonna be a part of this upcoming cycle. Um, I did it in 2018 and my project cohort was um, one of my uh, colleagues here, AJ Muhammad, Ariella Mandani, Claire Nickerson, and Tracy Drake. And Ariella, Tracy, and Aisha Connor-Gayton, they were the ones that actually took me to a, maybe AJ was there, I'm not sure. We went to a, a We Here uh, gathering, I think at ALA midwinter or annual that year. And I had like never heard of the organization. Um, and I was there, I was like, this is so like interesting and nice to be in a space where it's like all BIPOC because when you go to ALA annual or those conferences, that's not what it is, you know? I went to the Yale Symposium recently. I'm like, oh, okay. So there's like just a few BIPOC BIPOC here, you know, um, and finding that community just, it was really great because I, even though my library is pretty diverse, I still felt isolated in different kinds of ways. Like, you know, in my last branch, I was the only Asian person working there, right? Um, and just being able to connect to a lot of other people, of, uh, people of color um, was really fantastic. And I found a lot of hope in community here. Yeah, and I want to add to like, this work is so like community driven, like, one thing I do love about we here is that like, we all make decisions together. And we all like talk about decisions and think together and, you know, um, brainstorm together. And, you know, it's not just like one of us doing the work, we're all like contributing to it. And, um, you know, Jenny, Jennifer Reddy was the person who founded We Here, as Crystal said, and she does so much work, like so much work for this organization. It is, 
you know, and I don't think she gets enough credit for how much work she does for We Here and just for the field in general. And, you know, Charlotte as well, and also Jen Brown too, and all of the other folks who um, make We Here possible. But that's one of my favorite things is that it's, it's led by different voices. It's not just one person making decisions or, you know, one voice or like somebody saying, you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. We come together and we make those decisions collectively. And that's something that is um, just priceless because a lot of times in workspaces, you don't have that kind of autonomy. There's somebody like telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that. And sometimes things are supposed to be group efforts, but it's usually not. Um, sometimes, but in some ways it's not but in we here I definitely feel like it's a group effort and it just feels good to be amongst people who hear you and and your your thoughts are considered so well thank you for that and shout out to Jennifer Ferretti was our first interviewee on our first episode of the podcast so you know that's dope that you're paying homage and also congrats Nicolette on being an emerging leader that is amazing. Thank yes, you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I asked when the podcast will be out. <laughs> so <laughs> by, by the time it comes out, it, it should be well publicized by then. <laughs> It'll be happening. You'll be emerging. <laughs> in the middle of emerging. <laughs> yes, yeah, in the middle of emerging. See, there it is. Yes. There you go. That's so good. That's amazing. <laughs> well, we do appreciate the work that you all are doing uh, mm -hmm. with We Here. And um, like Jamia said, you know, we, we interviewed um, Jennifer Ferretti, and I'm actually currently doing a um, community study course uh, with We Here. And uh, so we have a lot of connections actually <laughs> to We Here, which is great. Um, but yeah, just the, the work that you all are doing there is something that impacts us all. Um, and just we're happy to, to be part of it in any kind of way, so. <laughs> yes, we are. So our last question for you, Crystal, you are, you work in a public library in Nicolette, you were a public librarian, and now you are an academic librarian. How does public librarianship inform what you do with We Here and vice versa? Um, I think it's good for us to be able to like kind of share our perspective um, in terms of like what public librarianship is about. Um, through We Here and through like other organizations, I've had people reach out about just getting information about like what's like to work in a, a public library setting. And I like meet with them, tell them like the good and the bad, right? Um, and, oh, um, so, so sharing that perspective uh, is I think really important. I think for me, especially because I'm somebody who, even though I'm not a branch librarian anymore, I'm still working in teen services. Um, I don't know if it's like the youth services philosophy, but I kind of just want like everybody to be friends and like hang out. I want to like affirm people. I think like the mentorship program, just like, you know, look at these people coming together. It's like beautiful. Um, but it's really important for me for folks to not feel alienated or alone. I know that like, people we hear are grown-ups and they're not teenagers but sometimes like mentally I'm like oh I just I'm so happy that like you're doing everything that you want to do and that you're like growing like a beautiful butterfly or all that kind of stuff um and then I, I would also say too that um uh like 
being in public librarianship, having to do tons of like readers advisory, being on the book committees um, for my library, gave me a lot of like training to do we reads and helping to like launch that with the, the other folks, um, Jen, Charlotte and Nikolai Klein. And so just the sheer amount of reading and bringing that into we here was. So for me, I feel like um, a big part of my role in the public library was community building and um, I started a lot of programs. I started the Natural Hair Support Group, which is one of my, um, you know, most something I'm really proud of. And nationally um, recognized public, <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. Yes, recognized uh, program. And um, I, I think I had an advantage, I guess, in creating that because the library that I worked at was in the community where I grew up. And so when you're in a community, like, you know how it breeds, you know how it sounds like, you know, like, to me, like, when I think of community, I think of like community as a person, it has a personality, it has a, a way about being. And so um, because I knew that I felt like I could engage with the community. And in some ways, I think this can be taught but I also think it's just something that comes with time um and so I felt like I was really connected to my community and I had worked in like other branches and I didn't feel that like I didn't feel like I was connected to the community because I wasn't there or like you know I'm working at this branch temporarily so I don't have time to really engage in the ways that I need to and so I think that aspect of community building in my public librarian role really helped me with community with we here um i also because i was i grew up in that community so like i said i know how it how it breathed how it moved you know things like that and i think as i mentioned earlier being a part of the community is to me like more important than like being like in a position of being an administrator like I want to know like what people are saying I want to be a part of the community I want to vent and I want to share my frustrations because you know I'm a part of this community you know I don't want to come off as like I've studied your community I know what you're like you know I want to be a part of it to say like you know I, I've seen things I've heard things and I've you know talk to people. And so I think that really informs our practices with me here, just being a part of the community and not like wagging fingers or like, you know, saying like having this really um, not personable experience with the community. I think just being amongst people and sharing my experience is kind of like what Crystal said. Um, helps inform my community admin work within we here, but it's also something that I gained from my public librarian work, and I feel like I brought that over within we here. I want to add to that too. Um, I, I think everything that Nicolette said about this kind of community work it, um, being very community driven, uh, that is something that I think I've brought back out of we here into my regular work. And I think it helps me be more open-minded and to recognize that sometimes I think things will happen in very autocratic kind of ways, right? And recognizing that, you know, even though you may be in charge of a, a task force, a committee or whatever, we are still like you're still a member of the team. You're just facilitating that work. Actually, we even talk about that with our mentorship program. Like we're not we don't really like, we're not really managers, even though it kind of says that. We think of ourselves as facilitators because the work that's being 
done is being done by the participants in the program, right? And um, and just kind of recognizing that we're just trying to uplift those voices and, and trying to like maybe do a little guiding, but not managing in that kind of way. Um, so I just really appreciate the perspective that we here has given me in my like day-to-day -day job um, outside of it. Yeah, and just like taking a position of like, I'm learning and I'm growing with, instead of like, I know this, like I know, this is what the community is going to do or whatever. I don't know. Like, I want to learn and I want to grow within the community. And so I think that definitely helps to inform my practices within We Here, but also within librarianship as well, developing my community at work for like my patrons and also like developing a community within We Here. Now, it's different, uh, of course, but um, I feel like they do inform each other in ways. Well, y'all are some hardworking women. I will say that. <laughs> can tell just, you know, like you have a lot um, between your, your own positions and your community work. And it's, um, it's, it's great to hear and see. Um, and thank you for sharing those experiences with us. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work, again, that y'all are doing to continue creating this community. It's definitely very important, you know, yeah, especially when we go to these conferences and we're like, oh my. <laughs> right. Oh, oh my, my, my. <laughs> Woo! Dot, thank y'all for creating the space. <laughs> yes, Nicolette saved us at MLA. I thank you, Nicolette. You know, thank you for that. We here meet, meet up. It was appreciative. So, you know, I appreciate you. <laughs> Yeah, and just like putting things out there like, hey, y'all want to meet up, y'all want to get together, like, you know, it's, it's great. <laughs> right, Thank and it's for... like there's a community, community no matter where you go, mm -hmm. no matter what conference you're at, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us to this podcast. Oh, thank you for coming on. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. This is awesome. It's really good really... to... We were nervous, right, Nicolette? Oh, yeah, I'm really? still nervous. <laughs> I'm still Ooh. nervous. I couldn't tell. What are you nervous about? Right. I'm not going to be not I... nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be not nervous until I exit out of this Zoom. Then I'll be like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> go, like, I'm going to go, like, sit in front of a fan be like, okay. I know. <laughs> well, I we couldn't tell, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, for pushing past the nerves. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so was there anything that you would like to share that we didn't um, ask? Uh, if you would like to support We Here, uh, we have a website, which is wehere.space. All of our information is there. Uh, we also have a Patreon that you can subscribe to if you'd like to support us and support our work. Yes. Okay. I, I just wanted to give a shout out to all the teen library workers who break the rules for their teens. So <laughs> good on you. Good job. Keep breaking those yeah. rules. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of, of our actual interview. We hope you learned more about Nicolette and Crystal. We'd like to share a quote with you before we sign off. Trust the people. If you trust the people, they become trustworthy.
Adrian Marie Brown. Remember to keep walking in your lib voices and please follow us on all of our social media pages.